stay with us and don't forget if you've got questions or comments or anything that you'd like to share with us here on SAFM Literature, you're so welcome. You can pop us a mail, books at safm.co.za. And if you want to phone in anytime in the next uh, two hours, you can, 0891-104-207. But let's us find out all about Stephen Klingman. Stephen Klingman was two when he underwent an operation to remove a birthmark under his right eye. The operation failed and the birthmark returned, but in a, an altered form. Well, that's just the start of his book, um, because his book called Birthmark takes us through his childhood and into the broader picture of South Africa itself, governed under apartheid by the markings of skin, the accidents of colour, race and skin. Uh, Stephen is also the author of a book all about Bram Fisher, but uh, his own story is is kind of a different thing to write about your own story rather than somebody be somebody else's biographer but here you are to tell us all about it welcome welcome back to south africa thank you very much thanks for inviting what's, me what's what's life like in uh, the university of massachusetts um it's very pleasant i've been there for a long time uh, it's a good place very nurturing supportive it allows me to do various kinds of uh, work different kinds of work i'm an english professor but they didn't mind when i wrote the Bram fisher biography and they didn't mind when I wrote this book, Birthmark, which is all about myself, really. Uh, so I've done literary criticism. I've written on Nadine Gordimer. I've written on transnational fiction. Uh, but this is, a, this is a very different kind of book. When you say they didn't mind, was that, I'm sure they were rightly so. I should think it's a feather in their cap. But a kudos. But did that mean that you had to take time off? Did you take a sabbatical to write the books? Um, well, the Fisher book, I really did have to take time off. But uh, what I... What helped me there was a number of different fellowships that I held where you can get time off for a year and basically you work on your book, you write it, uh, and you get it done and then you fit it in between teaching, administration, all the kinds of things that afflict uh, uh, academics. I shouldn't say afflict, it's a very good mm. job and I really enjoy it. Uh, but yes, you do have to carve out time. Yeah, yes, carving out uh, and carving out your own story out of uh, out of time is really quite something different. But before we get to your own story, you mentioned writing about Nadine Gordimer as somebody who's immersed in uh, the English language and English literature, presumably as well. You read a lot of stuff. Isn't that sort of slightly intimidating when you start writing yourself? I mean, presumably you have to, um, you know, guided by the masters, you have to find your own voice. Is this good enough? Are you are you very critical of your own writing? Um, I enjoy writing, um, and I don't think there's a huge, vast gap between the writing I do as an academic and the writing that I've done here. Not that this is an academic book, mm -hmm. far from it, but I think that the creative aspects and the imaginative aspects and the sort of empathetic aspects are, uh, are, are really included. When I started writing this book, it's worth saying, I wasn't thinking of publication, so that lifted the pressure completely. I wrote this book because I didn't want these stories to disappear. I'm living in a different country, uh, my daughters are American, and I was thinking, what are they going to know about the world that I grew up in, the world that, uh, that my ancestors came from, Jewish immigrants from Lithuania and Latvia, that disappeared from memory altogether, and we know very, very little about it, so I didn't want this to disappear, so I started writing these stories, and uh, really enjoyed it, and there was no pressure. Uh, and when I got to the end, I thought, well, okay, you know, maybe maybe this can be a book. And, and so it went on from there. Oh, everybody should do that. <laughs> because I, I recommend it. It takes away all the pressure and all the angst and, and so yeah. on. I suppose a lot of people do start writing. Uh, you know, if, you, if you've got, you want to just practice the art of writing and, and you just write and then you think maybe this is good enough. Um, well, very interesting that you should have been doing that. So you didn't want these stories to 
to disappear, especially for your daughters. Uh, but you're very much at the focus of the story. So did you work around you from the get-go? Did it work around me? Yes. Did, you, did yes. you think, okay, yes. here I am, I'm going to build around myself? I, this is very definitely a book in which uh, it's all about what I know and what I remember and what I perceive. And uh, I, I keep saying, and it sometimes, especially in academic circles, raises a kind of nervous laughter. There is no research in this book. It's, it's really what I remember. And uh, as you'll know from having looked at it, it's written in a series of very short segments. And that, for me, is very much connected both with memory and perception, because memory is not like a continuous stream. One thing leads to another. Memory starts here, it stops there, it takes up somewhere else. And the writing experience was very much like that for me. I'd write one piece a day, leave it, and then carry on the next day. And one thing literally led to another. And perception, too, doesn't uh, come whole. We don't see the world as a whole picture. We see it in fragments. We see it in different times and different places across our lives. And so the fragmentary nature felt quite real to me and uh, was an intrinsic part of the writing experience. And I think that's partly why I found it so pleasurable hmm. to do. So did you allow yourself, I mean, did you think it through, uh, I was talking to somebody just yesterday and they were saying when it comes to actually sitting down and write, writing, it's all been done because they've been thinking it through. But in the case of memory and allowing yourself the time to remember, because I'm sure if you sit there and allow yourself, I'm sure it all comes flooding out. Did you wait until you were sitting there at the computer before you thought, right, okay, open the door, here we go. You know, I can't remember exactly from segment to segment how it worked, but I did know that my I had a few rules for writing the book, and one is basically don't write more than one piece a day. Sometimes I would write two if it really came. But I didn't think much about it, and I, I'm a great believer in uh, unconscious promptings, that there's a kind of internal navigation that goes on, and this was almost... Um, like a living or working experiment in that. So I would stop at the end of one day, I've written it, it's there it is, go away, do something else, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, find myself at the computer, and there it was. That process of association really was working in that way. I think sometimes I would know, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start with this, but I didn't know where I was going to end. My One of my other rules, um, actually my two other rules were, each piece had to be no more than three to five pages long, and also, each piece had to end somewhere other than where it began. And again, so that associative process mm. was built into it. So this is a book about journeying as well, and, and each little segment has its own kind of internal journey. Well, I'm going to have to read it all over again, knowing those rules and parameters that you inflicted on yourself. Mm. So I think you, you've got a marked piece that you would um, like to read for us, which I think would be very nice. Just give us the context. Because, uh, the context is that uh, when I was young, I would go visit my cousin um, who lived in a big house in Parktown in Johannesburg, and this is when my cousins, uh, more than one, would take me down to see the devil. Uh, and this is about that story. So I'll take it up there. Now in the big Parktown house, it is different and much more dangerous. The day has begun with the cousins, not all of them, but it would be saying too much to reveal who, telling me they can walk through walls. They disappear and reappear, and though I don't believe them, there is part of me that does, and I cannot work out how they do it. And then it comes. All right, come with us. We're taking you down to see the devil. 
How can they do this to me? Why do I go along? They take me to the broom cupboard under the stairs and close the door. It is pitch dark in there, yet even so they tell me to close my eyes because it won't work unless I do. I close my eyes and hang on tight. They press buttons, make the sounds of a lift going down, 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 down into the depths of the earth. All the sounds of chaos surround me, and then we reach the end. Okay, now open your eyes, and I do, and all around me I see devilish faces lit up and leering at me through the dark, making wild noises. The broom cupboard is suddenly vast space, and there I am, and I scream, at which point they tell me to close my eyes. They will save me. They are taking me up again. Sounds of the lift going up, and the door opens to let in the precious light of day, and I take in sheer gulps of breath. The voices then are consoling. Are you all right? You won't tell anyone, will you? See how we protected you and brought you up to safety. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> did, did you go through, as you were writing this and remembering it, did you, could you, um, sorry, we're just suddenly load shedding has uh, departed and we're flooded with light. Did you um, remember all those feelings? Did, did it evoke those sort of memories in you? I think in the writing moment, I was, I was very much in the moment of what it felt like. And uh, that, that was interesting too. The, that piece is written in first person, present yeah. tense. It's as if I'm there. Yeah. And I think that's how it felt. Wow. <laughs> Quite a thing. The birthmark, which mm. is the title of the book, is, is it the birthmark on the cover of the book? The story of the birthmark is not just about the birthmark and the removal thereof. It's sort of a bit of an analogy that runs through. Explain. Well, you know, in my case, uh, when I was about six months old, there was this birthmark that arrived under my right eye and also uh, on the lid of, of, the, of the same, the top lid as well. And, um, and my parents were anxious. Um, you know, it could uh, get malignant, it could get cancerous, but I think there were cosmetic uh, concerns as well. And there were doctors in the family and one of them said, you know, it should come off and the other said, no, leave it, leave it till he's older. In the end, they took me to a very famous uh, cosmetic surgeon who'd done very good work in the Second World War, uh, reconstructing airmen who'd been burned and disfigured and so on. Anyway, he tried to remove this birthmark. Um, it didn't succeed. It came back, but not in the same form. And that, to me, becomes a figure of what memory is. It comes back, but not in the same form in which uh, mm. it first occurred. But where the analogy comes in, I think various analogies, I think everybody has birthmarks. Everybody is affected by where they're born, the families they grew up in, the lives they lived. And we're all, we all carry those marks. And the idea is to see them not as an affliction, but something that gives us um, the kind of essence of who we are and the, the, the series of experiences of who we are. Of course, in South Africa, where the markings of skin decided just about everything, who you were, where you were placed, how you were identified. I think those resonances spread spread more widely as well for that for that yeah. reason. You talk about that in the past tense. You don't think it's still relevant? I think it's still relevant. Mm. It really is. And not only in South Africa, I can add. You know, I'm living in the US where we've been through a whole series of police shootings. Uh, black males are, feel themselves targeted. So, you know, I think around the world these realities apply. Yeah, racism sadly, or, or race issues, can I say. Racism is a very heavy word to be using. But race issues rear their heads all over the place. So it, it's moved then from beyond being a story, so lest your children 
forget or never know to something more than that was it morphing as you wrote could you feel it growing into something i think it took shape as i wrote um and various other themes entered in and part of it is about uh, vision actually because as a result of this operation uh, my vision was affected it wasn't uh, you know the lens in my eye or anything like that but the way that i saw became split and divided now you know, how to reconstruct that or understand it is very difficult because I don't know if there's a clinical explanation for that, but I think there was a psychological explanation that my two eyes, my left eye and my right eye, were seeing differently. And so at a certain point, uh, I underwent a kind of course of vision therapy to correct that, and it was amazing to me to find how doing that actually released a lot of these memories which were embedded mm. in my body and in my mind but at levels at which I couldn't really recover without going through that process. So yeah, that was powerful and, and some of that began to come through and began to shape the book. And the book is divided into different segments and a lot of them is um, organized around vision. There's a section called double vision, there's a section called hologram, and so on. And, uh, you know, vision is, is very... At some point I say in the book it's not about coming of age, but coming of perspective. <laughs> Do you think it will... Uh, there'll be people perhaps like yourself, if indeed anybody is like anybody else, but there'll be people who relate to the sort of stories that you're relating that, you know, it shouldn't be forgotten. But do you... Did you have a picture of your audience of, of who they might be and what they might get out of it. Um, I've heard other writers being asked about who the audience is, and I'm always, if you don't mind me saying so, a little skeptical of the question because I think writers write, and, and it's very hard to say who's going to read the book. Um, I'm sure it would only sort of hobble you, really, if you were to think, worry was, too much about who's going to be reading. That's exactly the right point. And... Um, I feel there are a lot of people in Johannesburg who knew that world. For some of them, it'll be like reliving some of the territory that, that I lived in. So I think those will be some of the readers. But I'm hoping, you know, one always has this hope that uh, anybody who picks it up... I mean, I have a, a, someone who's a former student. She's Italian. She grew up in Palermo in Sicily. She read the book and she said, I could relate it. Now, she's female. She's Italian. She's Catholic. I mean, it's a different world completely. But she said it resonated for her as well. So I hope that's, that's true, you know, more generally. Mm. And has it resonated for your daughters? Uh, you know, they haven't read it yet. Oh, what? <laughs> they, <laughs> they will. When I come back, I'm taking copies back with me, and they will, they will read it. But uh, I actually don't mind. They, uh, you know, they have a kind of um, an interesting relationship to their father's yeah. work. Uh, they, they do somewhat different things, and I'm actually fine with that. Yeah. But it'll be there when the time is ready, when the time is right for them, they will read uh, it. At what age are the ages? Of well, they're actually getting on. I mean, one of them is 30, and the other okay. is 22. Okay, so here you are, honey, this is Daddy's life. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> Don't get too alarmed. Yes, yeah. very well. And I hope I hope your horrid cousins who took you down to see the devil, have, have they read it? Not yet, but they will. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Klingon, how perfectly fascinating. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. And very Thanks. best of luck back in Massachusetts. Um, and hopefully we'll see more stories from you. I'm sure we will. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Stephen Klingman and his book is called Birthmark and it's published by Jakarta. It's called Birthmark, published by Jakarta.